0: Welcome into In Focus here on News Radio KMAN. Here today with Josh Kyle, Captain of the uh, Raleigh County Police Department. He's an administrative captain officially, correct?
1: That's correct. Yes, I work in the administration division. The closest I get to real law enforcement is wearing a uniform. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm involved in all the uh, fast-paced, exciting stuff like uh, insurance and uh, budgets.
0: And I think last week uh, playing PIO, right?
1: I was, yes. I was the acting PIO. Uh, it's something that keeps me on my toes. And uh, also lets me appreciate uh, all the work that goes into uh, keeping the public informed on what's going on.
0: Yep, very important. And uh, appreciate you coming out here today. Uh, you've been the you've been kind of the uh, guinea pig here for interviews on K Man lately.
1: Yeah, we uh, when uh, Director Butler retired, we recognized how active he was. He was incredibly active. Uh, he was constantly going to meetings and also. Um, was involved in a lot of media outlets and so we did not want to slow down our pace and start losing contact with the community we wanted to continue doing what we had been doing and so we had a staff meeting um director moldrup uh, pretty much laid out what we've been what's been going on what we've been involved with and and uh, we divvied up the uh, the different assignments and i got radio
0: all right well that works out we're glad to have you here it's always good to talk with you um, lots going on in the news here, especially this week. I'm not here locally, but nationally. Uh, it's unfortunate that we have to talk about this, but, you know, another school shooting here in, in Texas this week, and, you know, it brings up the, the thought, uh, why? Why does something like this happen? And we don't have all the answers to that right now, but uh, I know RCBD prides itself on uh, being a proactive police department, at least that's been the case in the past. How would you describe uh, the partnerships you guys have here at the local level between RCPD and uh, the local school districts here in uh, Manhattan and Ogden and then Riley and Randolph as well?
1: Yeah. So, um, well, first off, it's just our hearts go out to everybody that's uh, been affected by these these tragedies that uh, go on across the country. Uh, we know that Uh, They're a difficult situation for us as a society to even imagine, um, much less try to figure out how to address. Uh, In Riley County, uh, we have, there's a number of different ways of approaching school resource officers. There's a number of different ways of trying to figure out the funding behind it and how you go about it. Uh, Some school districts have their own police departments, and uh, they decide that they're going to hire and train and, and have their own Uh, police officers that work in the schools. And then another model is that you have police officers who work in the schools, but they're hired by the local police department, trained by the local police department, and assigned by the local police department. However, they're paid for by the school district. And then you have the model that we use, which is they are 100% RCPD employees uh, paid through the tax base and uh, they, they are specifically assigned, the officer's position, the position within the police department is specifically assigned within the budget to be a school resource officer. So in Manhattan, we have two school resource officers, one on West Campus and the other one on East Campus uh, at the high school. And uh, then we also have a school resource, school resource officer who works in the county and splits time between uh, Rod County High School and uh, Blue Valley. And then uh, it's gone back and forth a little bit. Uh, We do have officers that are assigned to the Southwest and they'll occasionally check into the school uh, over in Ogden. Uh, That's kind of a hit and miss sort of a thing. Uh, There's times when we have officers that are very active doing that. And then there's other times when uh, it's just part of the uh, duty rotation or patrol assignment.
0: Okay. That, and, and that's good to hear. Uh, what about the middle schools? Are they ever covered by officers? I see cars over there once in a while.
1: So, yeah, that's that's something that a lot of people don't realize is that it's not just that the officers are assigned to schools. They also are liaisons for a number of school related issues and school age uh, kids related issues. So it's not unusual at all. If something happens at one of the schools that even if they're not assigned to, uh, they'll head over there and start to address the issue because they understand uh, a number of the the laws and different policies as far as uh, the differences between what's a school enforcement issue, a school rule, school policy versus a legal issue that needs to be addressed by police.
0: Okay. Um, I know that uh, each year, I think it's usually during the summer. There are training exercises that are coordinated with uh, USD 383. Um, has, has that? Do you guys do something similar in the uh, the rural schools as well?
1: No, we really haven't done much of that up there. Uh, I don't. I don't know why. Maybe it's just an issue of opportunities. But this is something that's developed over a long period of time. Uh, we obviously have been training on act what we call active violence situations for a number of years. I. Started in the training section in 07 and, and we were doing some of that training then and, and in fact we got to the point where we were doing some of the training in, in local schools at the request of principals. They wanted us in there. Uh, I remember very distinctly one time we uh, we broke something in the hallway when we were doing our training and I was super apologetic to the principal and, and uh, she said no I, I want you guys in here training that's why we asked you to come in here and we'll get the thing fixed don't worry about it you know. And it was that kind of a relationship, and she wanted us in there because she wanted us to be familiar with the school. And so it's a great partnership, but it's evolved significantly since uh, I started in 07, and now it's to the point where it's a emergency services-wide response to these critical incidents and active violence with uh, officers responding to stop the violence, with firefighters coming in. To immediately start assisting uh, in the injured to uh, EMS uh, triaging and, and and doing follow-up uh, stabilization in the field uh, before tr- uh, transport even occurs. So it's a it's quite elaborate and it's it's great experience because. Typically what happened in the past when we were training officers just focused on stopping violence, but never really focused a lot on follow through as far as uh, helping the victims and getting them triaged and getting them uh, the support and treatment they needed immediately. So this, uh, this training really allows us to collaborate and coordinate.
0: Yeah. And of course, nothing can prepare you for the actual incident, but having pra- you know, the, the practice here that you get here, the different buildings, I'm sure would go a long way to preventing loss of life.
1: Yeah, the idea is that we need to, uh, well, this is where it gets difficult because it all depends on the situation. And we've seen a number of different kinds of situations uh, occur within uh, the school setting. So one of the things we have to be very careful about is just because we get a call of, of a gun or a possible gunshot does not mean we have an active violence situation and we need to all go running in there with our weapons while at the same time if our best information is that active violence is occurring then that's precisely what we need to do. So again it's just part of the evolution that we've seen in law enforcement about responding to these kinds of incidents and right now the philosophy is if you are best available information is that it's an active violence incident when you get personnel in there as quickly as possible and stop the violence.
0: Is there a um, and I don't know maybe this might be something we need to communicate better to the public here, but are there levels of uh, like phrasing that we should know as, as the public for different situations?
1: Not necessarily. I, I think the biggest thing that we have worked on over the years, especially with the schools, is to immediately communicate to them, this is what we have going on. This is our, our best available information. I keep using that term because it's a great term because that's exactly what we're usually dealing with in law enforcement. Our most current best available information. We may find out later that it's not quite accurate, but it's the best we've got right now, and so that's what we have to use. And so, uh, what we've worked on with the schools especially is communicating, this is what we have going on at this moment.
0: All right. Well, unfortunately, we've seen threats against schools in the past, even here locally. Uh, What more can the community do to get in front of these before they become something tragic like we saw this week?
1: Yeah, so... For every incident uh, that occurred in Texas, there's uh, you know who knows how many tens or hundreds of threats that have been made, uh, incidents that were prevented because the community and law enforcement came together to uh, stop someone from getting to the point where they committed an act of violence. And so that, again, it's one of those village things. It takes a village to, to resolve these issues. It starts all the way from uh, parents... If if you start seeing some warning signs with your children, get them some help, Uh, get them some help as soon as you can. Uh, There's a lot of resources available. I know there's difficult decisions to be made in these situations, but there are certainly people who are uh, very skilled at their jobs in helping youth uh, resolve issues. Uh, We also are obviously heavily reliant upon um, parents and teens, kids um, who know each other, Teenagers very often communicate with their friends, oftentimes online or or over some sort of um, uh, electronic media. And uh, our number one source of information is other kids telling their parents they think something's up.
0: All right. So the common uh, theme there, if you see something, say something. That's, That's right. Yeah. Okay. Well... Appreciate you talking about that, and uh, it's, it's always tough when we have to talk about these types of stories. They do happen, unfortunately, and hopefully never happens here. Uh, we've reached time to take our first break on the program, so we're going to do that. We'll come back and talk more with Captain Kyle from the RCPD here in a moment. Back here on In Focus News Radio KMAN, I'm Brandon Peoples talking today with Josh Kyle, Administrative Captain with the Raleigh County Police Department. As we uh, do once a month here, we have them on our show. Uh, Recently, it was announced that the uh, Raleigh County Law Board approved a proposed budget that accounts for an 8.6% increase over this year's figures. Uh, Much of that increase is being done to bring up salaries. Uh, No doubt, though, when folks hear a figure like 8.6%, first thing that's probably going to come in their mind, how much is it going to impact their tax bill? I don't know if we know that yet, uh, but... Maybe you could elaborate a little bit.
1: Yeah, we we don't know uh, yet um, what that looks like because you obviously have to consider what the city and the county's budget is. uh, And then RCPD's budget, of course, is a portion of that. Uh, We recognize that 8.6% is a lot. It is a lot. Uh, And and by law, our funding source is taxes, property taxes. And that's something that uh, property owners uh, pay a lot of attention to. And we're very sensitive to that. Uh, We would not come to the law board with a proposal of this nature unless we felt that it was absolutely needed. Typically, we uh, approach the law board with proposals that are somewhere in the range of 3 to 4%. We consider 4% getting on kind of the high side. Uh, So to come to the law board with a proposal of 8.6%, we fully recognize that's a lot. Uh, Not only that, but this is just phase one implementation of a salary survey. Um, And so we fully anticipate that next year is going to be very similar, if not a little bit more. And we recognize that that is a tremendous amount uh, of money. Uh, We don't have access or any meaningful access to COVID funds uh, that some of our other uh, agencies or or governmental organizations have had access to. So we're completely reliant on getting our salaries uh, to a competitive standpoint Based solely on property taxes. And it's not something that we take lightly and we fully understand why the members of the law board want to ask a lot of questions about uh, an 8.6% increase over previous year's budget.
0: I I wonder, so you mentioned don't have access to the COVID
1: funds. Why is that? So, uh, you know, it's really interesting. I don't know how much detail you and your listeners want to go into. And my understanding is, is certainly not complete. But Remember, there was two rounds. There was like the Sparks round that came through, and that was administrated through the state and then through the counties. And I, I think in Kansas, we did an outstanding job of, uh, as I'm aware of, at least locally, of making certain, the state made certain that the uh, funds were allocated fairly and quickly. There was some significant timelines associated with that. You had to spend the money within a few months and then the county received uh, the money directly and then had to distribute it within the county to all the different organizations. And uh, from what I understand, uh, throughout that process, a number of things came to light. First off, asking governmental organizations to spend millions of dollars within a couple of months is not very practical. They need a little bit more time than that. Secondly, uh, some organizations in other areas can't help themselves. They, states want to dictate to the counties how to distribute the funds and the Counties want to dictate to the municipalities how to distribute the funds. Uh, I didn't see that here locally, but apparently that was a real problem in other areas. And so what the government did with the uh, second wave of funding um, was ARPA, I think is what we we, uh, called it. The ARPA funds is they decided to distribute those funds the federal government would distribute those funds directly to taxing authorities, uh, thus bypassing all of the issues that occurred the first time. So they ensured that the different uh, governmental organizations, the different taxing authorities received the funding that they should receive directly and without any of the, the um, problems that, were, that occurred before. And they also gave the organization something like two years to expend the funds. Uh, We are a political subdivision, we are not a taxing authority, so we're a political subdivision of both the city and the county. And as a result, we did not receive any funds uh, directly uh, from ARPA, so we don't have any access other than what the city or the county may uh, decide they want to basically turn over to us. Um, But that's completely up to them. It's their funds, and they can do what they want with them.
0: It's fascinating. I I guess I didn't realize that part. Uh, Sort of shows you what I know. Uh, But would that be different than, let's say, a different county here, Junction City? Since they're not a consolidated police department, they – Did receive funds then? Is that kind of how that works?
1: Yeah, so I would assume, and I'm assuming that uh, Junction City uh, received a significant amount of COVID funds like everybody else did, or their portion, let me put it that way, and that the uh, Gary County received their portion of funds. And of course, because they both, uh, in the case of the county, oversee a sheriff's office, and because in the case of the city, they oversee a police department, then they decide how to distribute those funds directly to their law enforcement agencies uh, because they're all part of the same entity. And I'm sure there was a lot of internal discussions back and forth about what, how, how all that pans out and occurs, and I would assume that it's up to those entities whether or not any of those funds go to their law enforcement organizations. But regardless, uh, those entities do have those funds directly to decide what they want to do with them, whereas in our case, we don't have any direct access in, in this round of funding.
0: That is unfortunate. And it's, it kind of goes to show you, you know, maybe the need here for the the increase, I would imagine. We know, it's been talked about here in the in the past, uh, the the wages are are causing competition issues. It's highly competitive market to get police officers. And there's probably not a lot of applicants at the moment right now, either.
1: Uh, Where where are we in terms of salaries compared to like size markets? So what we found is, well, actually, we we hired a company, uh, the Arnold Group out of Wichita, and this all started in like 2019, so this is something recent. We became aware of the fact that we hadn't done a a meaningful salary survey in at least seven years, and even then, that was a partial one. That wasn't even a complete survey, it was time for a a top-down, bottom-up assessment of all of our positions and so that's a, that sounds simple, but it's a very lengthy, uh, detailed process. And, of course, you had the issue of COVID that hit and slowed everything down. But we went through every position in the police department. We looked at the job descriptions. We made certain that they were a- accurate, updated them as necessary. Uh, the uh, Arnold group then conducted interviews with employees. They very quickly realized that uh, our, the expectations, the level of professionalism for RCPD is, is much higher than what's typical for this industry. Uh, we talked extensively about that, uh, about being nationally accredited and what those uh, professional standards means to this organization, that we don't just simply do things because that's the way we think it, it should be. We have to meet national standards. So. Uh, what the, the Arnold Group ultimately determined, well, I, I guess I started talking about the process. That was just the beginning of the process. So then uh, they have what they call the HAY method. Uh, when you do a salary survey, it's part science, part art. And the science in this case is to take a methodology uh, that uses uh, nine different major categories to score positions and so whether you're talking about the chief of police or you're talking about a custodian, this is a scoring system that tries to determine the level of responsibilities, level of education, uh, the level of uh, skills that are required for each one of these positions and score them using the same method. Once that done you end up with a salary chart that looks absolutely nothing like what you had before uh, and that's where art comes in because the Hay Method, as good as it is, and the fact that you're using an objective skill to score, doesn't account for certain things. And what we found is it didn't really account for the kinds of things that police officers, dispatchers, and corrections officers have to deal with. They make life-and-death decisions. They have to make those decisions very rapidly based on, as I indicated earlier, incomplete information. And uh, they also have to make certain that they protect, protect people's civil rights. These are a tremendous amount of responsibilities that the Hay Method just doesn't account for. And so we made uh, adjustments, uh, 8% adjustment to the police officer, law enforcement officer positions, a 4% adjustment to the corrections officers and a 2% for dispatch. That adjustment means that we took the hay method and then we made that percentage adjustment across the board for those different categories of positions because we felt that that adjustment would uh, account for things that were not otherwise accounted for in the hay method. And then also, we would end up with a salary chart that resembled what we had before. Finally, what, what they uh, do is uh, go out to, to market. Uh, the Arnold group was very, went into a lot of detail explaining why you have to be so careful when you go out to market. Typically, what happens is uh, the temptation is to look at your job title you know human resource manager or even police officer and go out to the market and just find how much they're getting paid in other areas Well, as I indicated earlier, the expectation on police officers is very, very different than what would be in other agencies that aren't aren't accredited. And not only that, but the job title, you would think police officers are a pretty stable job title, but it's not. It can represent a lot of different things. And so just because you're looking at a job title that's the same as yours does not mean you're looking at the same job necessarily, same level of responsibility. So uh, they very carefully looked at different uh, job uh, titles and descriptions and ensure that they were doing an apples to apples comparison and what that spot check does with market is ensure that you're in the right general area where you should be. Once all that process is done, you have a high level of confidence that you've created a salary survey uh, that is uh, defense court defensible and is is fair. And so that's the process we went through. The Arnold Group uh, finally determined that we had for a long time uh, been uh, leaders in the market, almost certainly because of our professional standards, and because the law board did a, a great job of keeping up to pace uh, with COLAs. Uh, that had always been a high priority during our budget presentations, and, and the law board saw to it that we received appropriate levels of, of uh, COLAs throughout the years. But uh, with, with just the, the volatility in the market, and also with just some changes that had occurred in the fact that we hadn't done a salary survey in quite some time, We were no longer market leaders. We had fallen behind. And so now we're finding ourselves in a position of competing with agencies head-to-head that we had not traditionally had to compete with for resources.
0: I would imagine, and this is just me thinking out loud here, if you don't keep up with the the pace of those other agencies, that can have a a long-term effect here because you want to hire good people who move through the ranks and ultimately become leaders in your department.
1: Yeah, that, that's right. Because when you have high professional standards, you have very high expectations. That means everything from your training program to your evaluation system meet uh, national standards. And we're expecting our our personnel to meet those standards. That's a lot to ask of somebody who has the opportunity to go somewhere else, may not have the same level of responsibilities, uh, and get paid more. It's very difficult to compete in a market like that. And I know People from my generation say, well, you know, that's it's not because of salaries that people leave jobs. Oh, okay, well, fair enough. But getting people in the door, you got to start somewhere. You got to get people in the door. And yes, you do have retention issues. People have access to information like never before, and salaries matter. They pay very close attention uh, to salaries. We had the uh, Kansas uh, Association of Chiefs of Police here in town, their conference was in Manhattan the last several days. And the last session was about recruiting, and it was all about what they called poaching. And it was a discussion amongst chiefs about poaching officers from other police departments. Hey, what are you making? Uh, What's your salary schedule look like? What are you looking uh, to be making the next several years? Well I tell you what, you can come over and work for me and you'll get this. And and there's some agencies that are just unabashed about that. They will they will try to poach uh, your people. Uh, so it's very competitive out there. And if you want people that are high quality that provide the services that this community is used to and deserves, you're going to have to have the salaries that that uh, reflect that.
0: As far as uh, current staffing levels, where where would you guys say
1: you're at at the moment? Our biggest need is in the corrections. Uh, I think we're about 66% staffed. It's a big problem. We've had to go from eight-hour shifts to 12-hour shifts, and uh, you know they have the responsibility of, of maintaining a, a safe and, and orderly correctional facility, and uh, it's, it's a big job, and when you start having serious staffing issues, it just adds a tremendous amount of stress to everybody. Um, and yet at the same time, we don't want to just start filling positions and, and filling positions with people. We don't think that uh, we'll handle the job uh, to the standards that we have. So uh, we're, we're, uh, we're seeing a tremendous amount of uh, open positions there. Uh, next, I would say we're probably looking at uh, patrol. The uh, police ranks uh, have quite a bit of openings. I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. I think it's somewhere in the order of uh, 80 to 87% of our positions are filled. So that leaves a gap of somewhere between 13 to 20% of our positions are open. Um, the real issue, especially with patrol, is that when you have an open position, it can take upwards of a year to fill that position with somebody who's now ready and trained to go uh, work the road by themselves. So uh, anytime those positions are open, they tend to stay open for quite some time, uh, because even if you've filled it with a person, that person has to go to the academy, has to get field training, has to complete all the training necessary to demonstrate that they have the capability of operating by themselves, and then getting on the road, and that can take about a year. Uh, so that's that's a challenge. And then dispatch, we had significant issues with uh, dispatch openings, and uh, a lot of work went into that, a lot of really good work went into that. And... We've been able to maintain a fairly decent um, occupancy rate, for lack of a better phrase, in that section, but uh, we still have uh, some losses there that we need to uh, fill. All
0: right. Well, we're continuing our conversation here with uh, Captain Josh Kyle, RCPD. We'll uh, go to segment number three here in a moment. You're listening to News Radio KMAN. All right, we're back here with Josh Kyle, Administrative Captain with the Riley County Police Department, joining us here for our. May monthly chat here on News Radio KMAN. Uh, One thing it's always good to talk about is the uh, funding source here uh, for the Riley County Police Department, because uh, it is a unique situation here compared to uh, the rest of the state in that it is a consolidated police department between the city and Riley County. Uh, Let's talk about how that's broken down, because I don't think a lot of folks realize the uh, kind of the ins and outs of that.
1: Right. So the law board, and there's a number of statutes that were put together to uh, make consolidation happen. And they all go into a number of issues and budget's one of the big ones. And so the way the statutes work right now, as we talked about before, uh, we're funded 100% through property taxes. And uh, there's an 80-20 split between the city and the county. So when the law board passes a budget, The city of Manhattan has to come up with 80% of that budget and the county has to come up with 20% of that budget. The county is also responsible by law for all of our facilities. Counties are also responsible for such things as inmate medical costs, so as you indicated you know, it's not just the eighty twenty split, there's other things going on there, but for the most part, when a budget gets passed, that's that's what we look at as an eighty twenty split between the city of Manhattan and, and, and Riley County. And so one of the questions that comes up is, you know, are we getting a good deal for our money? Uh, and and that can be answered in a number of ways, uh, because one of the things that consolidation is supposed to do is be more economical. You don't have to pay for a sheriff's office, you don't have to pay for a chief of police, you just pay for a director. You don't have to pay for a deputy chief and an undersheriff, you just pay for an assistant director, and it goes on from there. There's supposed to be a lot of cost savings associated with a consolidated law enforcement agency. So one of the things that we've done is we've taken a look, and I don't want to go into specific numbers because uh, we need to vet some of this material in a little bit more detail, but What we have found is that with agencies approximately our size, uh, our budget as a percentage of the city's budget is competitive with or lower than other like agencies. Um, and then for the county, uh, there's a significant difference. So for example, when you talk about the city, uh we uh, in 2020 were 10.8 percent of the city's budget approximately and then in 2021 we were 10.54 percent so that percentage uh, our percentage of the city's budget has lowered i know that it's not unusual uh, for cities to be somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 to 30 percent of a city's budget now granted those are very large cities typically uh, but it's not unheard of and there's plenty of communities uh, particularly communities that deal with uh, a lot of crime issues that uh, have a very large part of their budget is committed to law enforcement in fact for a typical city the number one line item for their budget is paying police officers and yet here we represent about uh, 10.54 percent which as I indicated earlier is pretty much in line with comparable with or or less than uh, a number of our our like-sized agencies when you just look at um, personnel uh, budgets And then for the county, we're in in the range of about 7.1% to about 6% of the county's budget. And typically the sheriff's office uh, in paying uh, in total budget comparison, the county sheriff's offices for comparable size communities tends to be uh, quite a bit higher than that. Um, So we feel very comfortable from that standpoint that we're comparable with or we cost less than what most people pay for. Another thing that you have to be really careful about comparisons is we're a county-wide organization. So let's say you take a look at, for example, and I'm just going to throw an example out there: Douglas County. And you go, okay, we're going to compare you to Lawrence, and then we're going to compare you to Douglas County. Well, okay, are there any other law enforcement agencies in in the county? Because if there are, then you need to add those two as part of your cost because we provide law enforcement uh, services to the entire city of Manhattan and the entire county. So you have to be careful that your You're making certain, once again, that you're comparing apples to apples by uh, taking a look and making certain that you're uh, incorporating all law enforcement agencies within a a certain uh, county uh, when you take a look at those costs. But anyway, um, this gives us a general idea that we are uh, competitive from a cost perspective. Another thing that we take a look at is how many officers that we have for per population. And the, the national average for police officers is 2.4 2.4 police officers per thousand population. Okay, so nationally, most places have about two officers, a little over two officers per thousand people. The state of Kansas is even higher than that. They're about seven, or excuse me, they're about 3.7% uh, per 1,000. Uh, so Kansas is actually quite a bit higher than the national average as far as number of officers per population. In Riley County, we have uh, about just a little under 1.5 officers per 1,000. So we are are able to uh, maintain a very uh, favorable crime rate compared to the rest of the state, while at the same time having a much lower than average number of officers per 1,000.
0: I'm curious. So was the initial setup, for that 80-20 split, was it based on population or... Because I know it's the population has shifted a little bit. I think there's about 52,000, 54,000 here in Manhattan, and the rest is in the county. Um, I don't know if it's still an 80-20 split at, at that point population-wise, but do you know is is that why it's that way?
1: So initially there was a three-way split. There was a split between the city and the county and the city of Ogden. Mm -hmm. uh because the initial consolidation was those three organizations manhattan ogden and riley county and uh, i can't remember exactly the formula i think i remember but as soon as the words come out of my mouth it'll end up being wrong but it was a three-way split if i remember correctly the city had 80 percent the county had 15 and i I, maybe even a little bit more and i think ogden was like five percent after the flood of 93 uh ogden lost a significant amount of their population uh, due to flood damage, and so they were unable to afford a full-time law enforcement officer uh, in in Ogden, and, and so they opted out, and the county agreed to take on uh, that financial responsibility, and thus the eighty-twenty split uh, was born. And you can see that change in, in statute, um, and it's remained since then. So, you know, you figure the flood of ninety-three, you got to go a couple of years after that before all this happens So you're looking at what ninety-five, ninety-six, or so um and so it's been that way since then
0: all right And you mentioned the you know the rcbd being about 10.8% to 10.5% of the uh city's budget about 6 to 7% of the county's budget with uh what's proposed here this year those numbers are going to stay about the same in your projection or is, i know we had a flat budget in there in the past after the first year of the covid pandemic i would imagine those numbers are going to fluctuate a little bit with the increases
1: yeah, it's really hard to tell because you got to remember. Well, there's a couple of things going on. Uh, first off, we're talking about percent of somebody else's budget, so it depends on what that somebody else's budget does. If their budget's flat and ours increases, then our percent's going to change. You can see between two years, it's changed, you know, a little bit uh, because it's 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 a re, it's a ratio. It's it's a relative on what something else is happening. You also have to remember what we talked about earlier, and that is access to COVID funds. And right now, uh, cities and counties are, are looking pretty good because they have a lot of COVID money uh, that they have a tremendous amount of options on how to spend. RCPD's is not like that. RCPD doesn't have access to COVID funds. What does that mean? It means that right now, cities and counties may be able to afford uh, fairly flat budgets for a while. But what's going to happen is as that money runs out, they're going to have to start uh, compensating for those expenditures uh, with tax base again. Uh, whereas you won't see that from Riley county, you'll see an initial increase in expenditures relative to the uh, other governmental organizations, I'm, I'm guessing. But that will not, uh, you won't see that change much because uh, we've the whole time been relying on a tax base in order to pay for our budgets. I, I know that's a lo- kind of a confusing concept. Basically what it means is if uh, different municipalities And you can be talking outside of Raleigh County, are using COVID funds to advance their budgets and they're relying on those funds for increased expenditures that are going to occur year after year. You've got to be careful down the road because eventually that money runs out and they're going to have to rely on taxes once again in order to cover those expenditures.
0: All right. We're speaking with uh, RCPD Administrative Captain Josh Kyle uh, here on In Focus. We're going to continue here in a moment, wrap things up here, talk about some other things. You're listening to News Radio KMAN. Last few minutes here with Riley County Police Department Administrative Captain Josh Kyle joining us here on In Focus News Radio KMAN. And uh, we're going to s- talk about some events that are coming up here uh, as we get going. Of course, this weekend, it's a holiday weekend with Memorial Day coming up. And we encourage people to uh, drive safely. A lot of folks are going to be on the roads this week. And I'm sure uh, not just here in Riley County, if you're traveling across the state, you're going to probably see. Law enforcement out there watching for people, you know, speeding and things like that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Traffic safety is is huge, of course. It's one of the major functions that we uh, we participate in, and we want to see people to get from point A to point B and be safe. Uh, we want people to go out and have a good time, enjoy themselves, but uh, conduct themselves uh, in a responsible way. I think with Memorial Day weekend, uh, there's a tendency to see a, a pickup in, in uh, DUI related accidents. And, uh, those are always very tragic, so uh, we like to keep those to a minimum and encourage people to uh, have a plan. And that's usually what keeps people out of trouble is they, they have a plan. They know they're going to go out to a party, they're going to have some fun, and they have a, a plan for getting home uh, safely.
0: You know, last week we saw, you know, last couple of weeks really we saw a little bit of an uptick in car accidents, uh, some some pretty bad ones too. Uh, not just here in Riley County, even in Potomac County we saw a fatality accident over there. And, you know, seatbelts are, are such a big big thing that can save your life. I and mean, we've seen situations where people are in accidents, seatbelts weren't worn. Uh, there's a click-it-or-ticket campaign going on, I think that's statewide, uh, through June 4th.
1: Yeah, we know that uh, some traffic campaigns, especially those associated with seatbelts, can be uh, somewhat controversial. But we're not kidding when they say they do save lives. And not only that, but they can change an accident. From uh what would have been a minor injury to a life-changing injury. Everybody wants to talk about death rates, but you know, honestly, a seatbelt can make the difference between uh, you being able to walk the rest of your life or not. Um, if you don't mind, I'm going to tell you a really old story. My uh, grandfather was a Kansas Highway Patrolman back in the '50s. Well, actually, the '40s, '50s, and '60s. And I asked him if he ever wore a seatbelt, and he said. No, I never wore my seatbelt until I worked a traffic accident where a guy in a station wagon got hit from behind and it spun his vehicle around. And it should have been a nothing accident. The cars were hardly damaged, but the vehicle spun him around and he went flying out the driver's window was run over by his own car. And after that, I always wore my seatbelt.
0: Yeah, I mean, that, that'll that do it for you. It, it all it takes is one incident to really kind of change your perspective. Uh, certainly, we hope people will be safe this weekend. Um also, going on this week, there's a big conference going on downtown. What's what's going on down there?
1: Well, the conference is over as of now, but uh, for the last several days, the Kansas Association of Chiefs of Police uh... had their annual conference here in manhattan it was a great conference so uh, we did everything we could to be good hosts and i think uh... we were able to pull it off Of course uh... hats off to everyone that was in, involved with hosting it here locally uh... we have found manhattan amongst the law enforcement community to be increasingly popular i can't say we're centralized in the state but we're uh... we're we are you know not not too bad But uh, we also are are fairly neutral territory when you're trying to break out of, you know, the Kansas City market or the... The Wichita Market. I think we're a, a nice destination for many law enforcement groups because we're not too big and we're not too small, and people seem to have a really good time here in Manhattan. So we're glad to host uh, those conferences. They're, they're coming to us, actually. We're not having to do a lot of work to encourage them to come here. They're, they're coming to us because I think they they have a really good time with uh, all of the amenities that are here. So anyway, uh, this conference was this week, and it, and it culminated in an awards ceremony. So, uh, the way uh, the awards work is that we have a panel of people that review award recommendations. It's called a, our multi-purpose committee and uh, they decide whether or not they either agree with, disagree with, or want to modify the award recommendation at the local level. And so, uh, you'll see at law board meetings uh, different officers and, and different employees because throughout the organization receiving uh, different awards throughout the year. Well, we have an opportunity once a year to submit those awards to the state level, and the state has an award system as well. And so we had several employees who uh, were nominated for state-level awards and they received them. I think Officer Berard uh, received an award for uh, helping a a woman who was uh, dealing with uh, suicidal thoughts. Uh, He had worked with her over a period of, of several hours and even into the next day and ultimately helped her get the treatment that she needed. Uh, We had a situation where a person needed CPR and a dispatcher provided instructions for CPR over the phone and then an officer showed up and and took over from there. And then uh, there was also uh, a really um, tragic accident, traffic accident where a vehicle uh, caught on fire and our CPD officers worked very hard to uh, pull a number of teenagers out of the vehicle and uh, start performing uh, rescue uh, procedures on them.
0: It just shows the the good work that goes on in this community, and I, I've talked to some of these officers in the past, and they're just, you know, the, the dedication they have to helping people, it can't be overstated. It, they do a really good job.
1: Yeah, and I tell you what, it was not only obviously RCPD there. There was agencies across the state that were officers rec- receiving awards for all kinds of incidents, and it's just really humbling, um, especially with somebody like myself that's been on the job for a long time. You see what this next generation is dealing with. You see their the way they're handling it, the, the problem-solving that's going on, the tenacity, uh, the different techniques that they're using uh, that we had no thought of or access to um, uh, when I was on the road. Just the, the way they think and the way they respond I me. Mean, who would have thought when I was a brand-new officer that dispatchers would be telling you how to do CPR uh, over the phone? And now it's just a, it's a reality. And so it's just incredible to see what this generation is doing uh, out in the field to uh, help people.
0: And we got summer coming up here. Juneteenth will be on before, or it'll be happening before we have RCPD on again next. I imagine you're going to be firing up the grill here pretty soon.
1: Super excited about Juneteenth. Juneteenth is probably, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to disparage any other group, but it's it's really our, our flagship event every year. Uh, we we bring out, uh, we griddle a lot. We use griddles for uh, hamburgers and hot dogs, but this is not a hot hamburger hot dog event. This is time to uh, smoke some some food. Uh, traditionally, it's a competition, so uh, you know we, we go out to win. Uh, I don't know if that's exactly what it's gonna be involved with this time. I do know we're, we're working on ribs. I was talking to uh, Sergeant uh, Doling just the other day, and he was talking about the order that he's putting together. He's getting excited, I'm getting excited. It's a great event, it's a great, opportunity for us to engage uh, face-to-face with uh with the community i know juneteenth this year is going to be a multi-day event and we're still working out some of the details but i do know for certain that our food trailer is going to be out there and we're going to be barbecuing
0: all right and just heads up we'll be talking with some of the members of the juneteenth committee coming up on june 10th here's mark your calendars for that it'll be a couple weeks from now uh and getting some more details on that uh week-long event so captain kyle appreciate you coming out and uh We'll talk to you again soon. Have a good Memorial Day.
1: Thank you so much. I appreciate that, and you as well. And I hope everybody out there has a really good time and stays safe.